welcome to Beauty Will Save the World. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Susie Solaviv. I am a narrative consultant working for myself, a cradle Orthodox Christian from a convert family, married to Gregory. We have one daughter. We live outside of Boston, and I read way too many books. I'm Rebecca Lonovich. I love the Orthodox Christian Church, and I want to share conversations here about the faith from our hybrid cradle convert perspective. I'm married to Victor, the best person in the world, and together we have three sons and live in the Pennsylvania wilds. This podcast is about faith and friendship, family and food, feminism, books, Netflix, art, and music. All the things. Most of all, it is about our experiences of beauty that brings us deeper into the love of God. So I am back on the warm Manischewitz. It is a train that I don't regret taking, but I may later because Manischewitz has such a high sugar count that I usually have a headache afterwards. Oh, really? But it's so delicious. It's like, <laughs> it's like comfort food, you know? Yes. Do you ever do warm watered down Manischewitz? No, I never have, actually. I have had Manischewitz before but usually at Russian parties because Russians like it. Well, the reason it's so good is because it tastes like zapivka, like after communion. Yeah. What is, is there an English word for that? If there is, I do not know it. I don't either. I mean, I know that, I know that the prosphora, the bread is called antiteron in Greek. Yes, I did know that. But yeah, I guess maybe we need some words. Well, I doubt there is a word because I think it literally the after drink. Oh, okay. Or something. Yeah. I don't know. Hey, listeners, this would be a great moment for you to contribute to the conversation. Yes, we need to start baptizing this language. Word. That word. Okay. What is up with you? It was nice. My husband was off of work. We had a little staycation and I was in Hobby Lobby no less than three times. If you count one time when I went away and then came back and... I spent too much money on candles at Body Works. We got to go out to lunch with just our youngest because our two older boys were in school. So it was kind of like reliving the days of having one child when we used to go out and out and about with just little Nico. So it was kind of nice to relive that a little bit with Robin. We tried a new place in town, which had outdoor city on a beautiful fall day. We had mostly good weather and... No school was canceled, so that was good. Everybody's still in classes so far. So yeah, that was my week. What about you, Susie? Well, last week, I think I told you we started a childcare swap, our COVID pod peeps, and that was really great. So they're taking our daughter on Mondays, and I'm taking their kids on Fridays. And so that gives me extra time to work, and that's been spectacular. I'm thinking about doing something new with my business that feels like a really good direction, and I'm not going to share what it is here and now, but you'll definitely see it coming into being. And some of it was a little bit inspired by this podcast and in thinking about who I really want to be working with. Awesome. Wow. I can't wait to hear about this. We spent all day Saturday at the Canterbury Shaker Village in New Hampshire, where Uh they're offering free outside tours twice a day on Saturdays. And I had been before and done a tour of the buildings, but Greg and Ella had never been. So we went and got actually a very different experience doing the outside tour 
I learned a ton. Shakers are a particular interest of mine. And we've been to a large number of Shaker villages, including one with Victor. Uh-huh. God bless that man. He drove us three hours each way to this Shaker village in Kentucky that I really wanted to go to when you guys were in West Virginia. And I still don't know why he did it, but I'm so grateful because I'll probably never go there again. Aww. And so we got to explore the grounds. We did a long hike around the pond. Not long because it was actually long, but long because we're walking with our four-year-old. And we were able to take some really lovely fall pictures, some of which I posted on my Instagram. And then on Sunday, we spent the entire day pretty much at our COVID pod friend's house. So we went to church in the morning and thank God we're all able to receive communion, which is the first time in a really long time, just because of how things have worked out with the schedule. Mm -hmm. And I was just so grateful, so, so grateful to be able to go. And then we spent the whole rest of the day at their house. I ended up napping on their couch because I was exhausted (laughs) and the the mom of the family, Victoria, it's so weird to call her the mom of the family because she's significantly younger than I am. But, you know, my friend Victoria and I watched the new Emma, which was a lot of fun. Oh, was it? I haven't seen it. Well, as far as adaptations go, I don't think there was anything remarkable about it. I thought it was just okay. a good, faithful adaptation okay. of the story. But, you know, I enjoyed it. Like, yeah. Yeah, so that was my week. And now here we are on a whole new week. Well, we decided to scramble up our podcast schedule of topics a little bit and just dive on into marriage today. Something that I have a lot of thoughts on and I'm sure Susie does too. Well, Rebecca, let's be specific. The topic is not just marriage. The topic is marriage and martyrdom. Right. Marriage and martyrdom. This is a bee in my bonnet. (laughs) <laughs> I, will, I will just say as a little like informative disclaimer, I've been married for 12 years now. And how long have you been married, Susie? In November, it will be six years. Okay. So we are not exactly like old married people, but I would say that at this point, we've been married for a little while and we have at least some experience and knowledge of it. And so we don't feel embarrassed to talk about what we think. I'm just like a little bit superstitious about talking about marriage. If I say I know something, then for sure, for sure, something horrible is going to happen. We're going to have a big fight or something. And that's just my superstitious side. (laughs) But I think your anxiety side, because that's exactly how my anxiety side works. Oh, really? Are you superstitious too about things like that? I totally am. I will hesitate to say, oh yeah, things are going well, because then that means invariably they will stop going well, as though my words could change that. But I think I've mentioned before a couple of times in this podcast, I'm a registered nurse. I worked in the ICU and it was maybe my first or second week on there. It was in the afternoon. I looked around and I was like, boy, it's kind of quiet around here. And everybody gasped and said, don't say that, don't say that. And I was like, what? And they said, if you say that, this place will go to heck. And you know what? It did. (laughs) Like, it wasn't like 30 minutes later, we started getting calls from the ER, like stuff started going crazy. And like, by the end of the shift, like it was a nut house. And it never fails. Actually, it's a real thing. Ask any nurse. Don't say it's quieter in here. Don't say, I think it's going to be a good shift. And don't say, I have to get out of here on time. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, that's real, Susie. I'm just telling you. 
Also, lucky underwear is real, and lucky socks, and some nurses have a lucky pen. <laughs> I tried not to get too attached because I knew that it would be a problem for me, but yeah. I mean, this is not an uncommon superstition. We have, we have it in the theater, too. But still, I think the most important takeaway that I've gotten from my coaching work and stuff recently is that it's really our thoughts about it that determine our our results. Because there are plenty of people who are like, no, I'm just happy and I'm going to be happy and this is how it's going to be. I hate those people. And there are people like me who are like, if I say I'm happy and things are going well, then everything's going go to go to heck in a handbasket. <laughs> like... I think it's really more about that secret dread that you're nursing and allowing that to come to fruition rather yeah. than, you know, rolling with the punches. Because li- life is always going to be 50% good, 50% bad, I think. It depends on your point of view. True. <laughs> how much How much water is in that glass? At this exact moment, not enough. Look, I'm a pessimist naturally, so this doesn't come to me easily but I'm fighting against it so hard Rebecca and I want you to join me in that fight oh my goodness but you know my favorite thing is to drag people back down into pessimism with me that's my brand come dear listeners come into the depths with us (laughs) yeah I mean I suppose it is in some ways a paradox starting a podcast called beauty will save the world while simultaneously looking with suspicion on anything cheerful Mm -hmm. (laughs) but nevertheless we continue All right, so I wanted to start this episode with a little reading from one of the letters of Tolkien, and I've seen this posted about Facebook now and again, usually with comments like, so good, and this is the truth, and more people should think about it this way. I am excited. It says, men are not monogamous. No good pretending. Men just ain't, not by their animal nature. Monogamy? although it has long been fundamental to our inherited ideas, is for us men a piece of revealed ethic, according to faith and not the flesh. The essence of a fallen world is that the best cannot be attained by free enjoyment or by what is called self-realization, usually a nice name for self-indulgence, wholly inimical to the realization of other selves, but by denial, by suffering. Faithfulness in Christian marriage entails that great mortification. For a Christian man, there is no escape. Marriage may help to sanctify and direct to its proper object his sexual desires. Its grace may help him in the struggle, but the struggle remains. It will not satisfy him, as hunger may be kept off by regular meals. It will offer as many difficulties to the purity proper to that state as it provides easements. No man, however truly he loved his betrothed and bride as a young man, has lived faithful to her as a wife in mind and body without deliberate, conscious exercise of the will, without self-denial. Too few are told that, even those brought up in the church, those outside seem seldom to have heard it. When the glamour wears off or merely works a bit thin, they think that they have made a mistake that the real soulmate is still to find. The real soulmate, too, often proves to be the next sexually attractive person that comes along, someone whom they might indeed very profitably have married, if only. Hence, divorce, to provide the if only. And of course, they are, as a rule, quite right. They did make a mistake. 
only a very wise man at the end of his life could make a sound judgment concerning whom amongst the total possible chances he ought most profitably have married. Nearly all marriages, even happy ones, are mistakes, in the sense that almost certainly in a more perfect world, or even with a little more care in this very imperfect one, both partners might have found more suitable mates. But the real soulmate is the one you are actually married to. In this fallen world, we have as our only guides prudence, wisdom, rare in youth, too late in age, a clear heart, and fidelity of will. And this is from the letters of J, pages 51 to 52. So I guess that's a book. I think he was writing to his son, as I recall. Yes, to Michael Tolkien. So the first time I read this, I think it was on Facebook, and I didn't know it was Tolkien until I got to the end. And before I realized it was him, I thought, well, goodness, this man does not sound happy in his marriage at all. <laughs> this sounds like he's describing a fairly unhappy marriage that he's trying to make the best of. And I kind of just want to talk about that a little bit. A lot of the things that he said, you know, I think are very true and good. You know, monogamy is an effort. It's a conscious undertaking, something that like eating in moderation, for example, is not necessarily natural to us. Like we want more than what is good for us. But I would like to push back on this idea that I heard growing up in evangelicalism and then have seen since in orthodoxy that it is unwise and selfish or even worldly to expect happiness in marriage. You hear people talk about it sometimes and they're, and they're saying things like, oh, sometimes I hated that person. Oh, sometimes, you know, the things we said and did to each other, they, you know, who, how could, how could the marriage, how could we possibly still be together? And yet, by the grace of God, we're still together. This kind of stuff. Or in orthodoxy, sometimes you hear people talk about marriage as martyrdom. And what comes to mind or what seems to be portrayed when people talk about that is that each person in the marriage is being hacked to death by the other. And in this way, you are mutual martyrs. And I think that's the problem because going into your marriage, expecting that the other person is going to hurt you horribly and that, you know, sort of behaviors that perhaps should not be tolerated are instead something that you're supposed to accept patiently for your salvation is not healthy. I'm not against anything the church says about marriage. I just think sometimes the way that we understand it or the way that we talk about it is not helpful. So that's just like the broad argument. Where would you like to dive in there, Susie? I want to hear more of your thoughts on Tolkien because I know that they are many. Yes. What I'm waiting for. <laughs> so I, I don't buy this story that Tolkien and his wife, Edith, had this epic love story. Because I've done a little bit of internet digging and <laughs> reading. And it sounds like later in his life, they did not have a lot of happiness in their marriage. That she resented his his involvement in his male friendship, especially with his writing group. And that she was not necessarily an enthusiastic Catholic like Tolkien was. And although she did convert prior to their marriage. And that... She sort of enjoyed the fame and opportunities that came 
to them when he found success as a writer, where Tolkien was less enamored with that. And I think it might point back to the possibility that Tolkien's guardian, who was a priest, was maybe right that when he advised Tolkien not to enter a relationship with her, which is that they probably were not long-term compatible, (laughs) I'm guessing. And this is, yes, it is significant reading uh, between the lines, but I can't imagine um, describing my marriage to Victor as, how did he put it? A mistake. (laughs) Sorry. I can't imagine describing my marriage as a mistake. First of all, and I've said this many times, Victor is the best person in the world. He just is. And (laughs) if I couldn't get along with him and be happy in a relationship with him, then I would be like a monster. So there is that. But he's just a delightful person to be around. But also, I would say that in our time together and through our love and our marriage, who we are has been formed around each other. So in a sense, there is not possibly a better person in the world for either of us because we are each sort of part of each other Mm -hmm. at this point. And dare I say it, just gentle listener, that's the point of marriage, right? The two shall become one. So if you are in your in your marriage, and I'm not talking about some passing like, oh, like so-and-so, you know, he's a real looker, you know, or something like that. But what I mean is if you're writing a letter admonishing your son that don't expect to feel satisfied in your marriage, don't expect to feel that was not a mistake mm-hmm. <laughs> because it, you probably won't be satisfied. You'll always be hungry if in that metaphor when he says, and, you know, you can stave off hunger by eating, but you can't stave off uh, sexual desire by being married. And I think that's a misunderstanding even of, or sort of myth on <laughs> what marriage is supposed to be like. If after entering into marriage, your idea is that, well, I've got this hunger I need to have filled, like then you're using the other person. Like it's, that's not what it's supposed to be about. So yeah, I just think it's all a little bit off and it doesn't sound like he's describing Marriage is a a very nice thing at all. It sounds awful. (laughs) I mean, in one sense, you agree with Tolkien, which is the idea that the soulmate is the person that you're married to. But I think maybe where you differ is just the expectation of happiness. And like you have the expectation of happiness. He has the expectation of unhappiness. And wasn't Tolkien Catholic? I wonder if some of that comes and like, I don't want to throw... Catholics under the bus or anything, but I'm having grown up in a Catholic culture. My father was Catholic before he converted to Orthodoxy, and Boston is a very Catholic town. I wonder if anticipating unhappiness and anticipating suffering is part of that culture. Do you have not Do you know or have a sense of that? Well, I do know that Catholics have a bit of more emphasis on suffering. Like they have this concept of redemptive suffering. And I don't, I could be wrong about this, but I don't think we actually have that in orthodoxy. Um, we acknowledge that there is suffering, but it's not something that, that God gives us so that we'll be better. Like suffering is allowed because it can lead us to repentance, but it's not, it's not something that. It's not supposed- to be celebrated. It's not something that is in itself to be like 
rejoiced over where that's like the the self-flagellation aspect. And again, we're not Catholic here. We don't want to offend anyone perception of what's going on. And like having grown up with, you know, like scratch anyone in Boston and you'll find Catholic in there somewhere. I grew up with this idea that you had to suffer, that suffering was good, that suffering was better than happiness. I think that might be part of what Tolkien's getting at here. Yeah. Or not that they're opposites, almost, you know, like if you're happy, then you're doing something wrong, almost. I mean, I think it is natural for both men and women to, you know, see someone else and be attracted to them, even when they're in marriage. Well, it's just like something that but. you don't like indulge in, you know. There's a difference between, so I went to, when I was just out of college, I went to a conference where Metropolitan Jonah of the OCA was speaking, and he said something that I found immensely useful on the subject of temptation, which is that the goal is to have it be like a bird flying past your window. Right. Yes, exactly. So I feel like Tolkien takes that normal temptation And instead of walking by the swimming pool, he dives in and rolls around. Look at how wet I am, but I'm still married. (laughs) The bird is outside, it flies by. It's sort of a brief distraction, but it's of no consequence. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? If you're not cultivating happiness in your relationship with your spouse, I think it would be much more challenging (laughs) to let that bird fly by and, and let it be a nothing. So because of how I was raised uh, in evangelicalism. And I think there was some of this idea of like, again, like if you're happy, you're doing something wrong. (laughs) A little bit in the, like a little bit in the air. I heard this growing up a lot. Like marriage is a struggle. Marriage is hard all the time. Marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. Don't get your hopes up basically. Like don't expect to, you know, don't expect romance, you know, men like, you know, men aren't romantic. They're not going to, you know, fulfill your Anne of Green Gables fantasies or whatever. These kind of things I, I heard growing up. And, you know, honestly, I haven't found any of that to be true. Marriage has been one of the greatest joys of my life, probably second only to becoming Orthodox. And it's been the best part of my life. It's been full of joy and healing and love and support. And I, I think when we talk about marriage as being for our salvation, that's probably what that is. When you talk about marriage as martyrdom, I think what that's supposed to be is that each of you are cheering the other on. Like you're the person in the arena with them saying, don't deny Christ, you know, praising God and praying for you to endure as you fight your passion. Not, not the person with the sword, like the gladiator killing you, you know, but that's how I often hear it portrayed in orthodox sermons or like people talking about marriage and orthodoxy that those mean nasty ugly things and the other person you're going to be saved because you're going to have to put up with that and endure that in them and they're going to be saved because of the the mean bad sad things in you because they're going to put up with that and endure being in a relationship with someone like that not that you know we don't all have problems and that we don't need patience and forgiveness and commitment in marriage, of course. But, you know, I think that attitude may end up creating an environment where things like codependency and enabling and narcissism sort of flourish. 
because people think that they're doing it right. Like, oh, you know, this person says cruel things to me. They're not appreciative. I feel like I don't have a voice. I can't make my own decisions. Well, I guess I just need to endure this. It's going to make me holier. Or, you know, this person is reckless. They keep getting us into financial holes we can't get out of. We, you know, can't hardly survive on our make a living. They need to get a job to help the family and they refuse all this stuff. But well, well, you know, I got to endure this because that's for my salvation. And maybe that sounds crazy to you, but I, I mean, I, I, I feel like I've witnessed it. Well, I think that my understanding of marriage is martyrdom is different than yours because I th- I hear what you're saying like marriage is martyrdom because you and the other person are trying to kill each other but well that's how I sort of heard it yeah yeah not that you not that you think that but that was what you heard my interpretation of marriage is martyrdom is that and I think that this has evolved because I think I did have a more destructive view of it when I was younger but I think of marriage as martyrdom being both of you dying to the self in order to create one new person, which is your marriage, but also your marriage to Christ. Because the two of you get married, but you're also in getting married, you're bound to the Lord too, because you're creating this Christian family, this Christian home. So that's been my interpretation of it. What, as I've gotten older, I don't know, when did I come up with this idea? (laughs) Certainly, I think there are times when my husband and I feel like we're killing each other. Like we have a, we have a very good relationship. We're very, you know, we're really close. We're very good friends. I consider him my best friend. He's my person. And that's, that's why we're married. But there are also times when I do feel like my self is being murdered because I have to deny myself for the good of the marriage. And I don't think that's a bad thing. No, yeah. no, I think it's misunderstood. Yeah, like it's it's like I don't feel like I'm, you know, being tortured the way Tolkien seems to be. It's more um, like, well, I know what the right thing to do is. I just don't want to do it. And I'm going to do it anyway, but I don't want to. <laughs> right. I'm a little bit cautious about language of dying to the self only because I've heard that, again, sort of misunderstood. Well, not dying to the self, like we're not brainwashing ourselves. We're not some cult where we have to recreate ourselves as people. No, I guess I just think of it more as becoming our true selves, right? Like becoming truly human, becoming who God intended us to be in the image of God. That is us, most truly us, and that we've fallen from. But And I guess that is a kind of a death, but it's the kind that brings new life, like a seed falling into the ground, not like Oh, I'm dead now. <laughs> Part of this is our understanding of death, too. Yeah, yeah. Just the way you said that, that really, that really struck me because our deaths should be a seed falling into the ground, and you know, the plant comes up in the resurrection. Right, right. All that was there is still there, but it's what it was meant to be. I'm thinking about how to keep extending this metaphor because you think about the martyrs, the actual martyrs, not the martyrdom as part of marriage. And what they went through really sucked. It's not like they didn't feel pain. Right, right. <laughs> like, it was terrible. Right. Really, really bad. And But it, it was also a joy because it was done with so much love. There was so much love and joy 
in their hearts. Oh, like think about the 40 martyrs of Sebast, how they were all suffering in the colds. And then mm-hmm. one of them left and one of the guards was so moved by, by their struggle, he went in to join them. So it's, I agree with you. Yes, it is the struggle. It's the pain, but the focus is on the joy. And the joy is not because you're excited that you're like, oh, this pain's good for me. The joy is because you have a chance to suffer and die for Christ. Like, what more could you ask to do with your life? Like, it's the most wonderful thing. And and that's why people are like, oh, yeah, here comes the, here comes the wheel with nails. I know this is going to be good for me, but it's because they count it all joy because it's for Christ. And I, I suppose maybe that's a better way to think about it in marriage. What we bear for each other is something that we do with joy and love for the person. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. Yeah. In a way, it's a foretaste of the love of God for the marriage. It's sort of like an icon of that. And also doing this marriage well, we are loving God well too well as well as we can you know we're, we're learning to love better I suppose I should say here's another here's another thought that just came up so thinking about the like the sad marriage where it's like oh suffer 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 the suffering is redemptive yada yada that reminds me of the story about the two brothers one was being martyred and the other one was a pagan or something and they had quarreled and they hadn't forgiven each other. And so as the one brother was being led up to the scaffold to be murdered, the other brother called from the crowd, forgive me. And he refused to forgive him. And so even though he was killed, he wasn't vouchsafed a martyr's crown. Right. So how would you relate that to marriage? Like if you're in a marriage and you're hating everything and you're not being loving, and if you're kind of going through the motions but then you're secretly holding a grudge. Maybe marriage is about the martyrdom of pride. (laughs) But I also don't want to say that because I don't want people to get into abusive situations, you know? Yeah, that's kind of my main thing. Well, I I guess there's two things. If you have been told your whole life, and then on your wedding day by the priest, that marriage is really hard, it's brutal, you are going to sort of die by the cruelty of the other person at some point, or maybe for a long period, you might go into a very unhealthy marriage. And you might think that things that are very wrong are normal. So you might end up in the end, destroying each other, instead of helping each other on the path to salvation. And so I would just want to be a little bit more cautious, I think about how we talk about marriage, it is something that should bring joy and love, all the fruits of the spirit that should be present in a marriage. And it should be patient, but it should not be cruel. (laughs) You shouldn't lose yourself in the other person that's enmeshment. And you shouldn't be putting up with, you know, abusive behaviors or cruelty, or people not being responsible, running you into bankruptcy or something like recklessness, that kind of thing. Those are not the kind of things that are the, the martyrdom things. Those are bad things that should not so much be endured as not allowed to consume both of you. You know what I am thinking about now is there is a terrible, well, it's a classic musical. Have you ever seen the musical Carousel? Oh, uh, a long time ago. I think I just saw part of it. Well, 
there's a section where after they're married, the lead actress is saying, when he hits me, it feels like a kiss. And I've always found that to be one of the most horrifying lines in a musical ever. So basically this man, spoiler alert. And <laughs> this is why my mom never let me watch it. He pursued this woman and they ended up getting married and he was abusive and they have a daughter. And then he from heaven has to do things to help them out. And the big number is when you walk through a storm, walk on, walk mm-hmm. on with hope in your heart, you'll never walk alone. And uh-huh. I've, I've just always really hated it. Because it just seemed so healthy to me. Why? Why? I guess it's nice he gets the chance to go back and help them in the end, but he's already dead and they don't know about it. So I don't know. And I'm trying to remember how this relates. Oh, because abuse. Yeah, I just really hated how this relationship has been romanticized. And there are plenty of people who are in abusive relationships who love their abusers, I don't want to deny that. I don't want to deny those feelings are real. I believe those feelings are real. But it's also a defense mechanism. It's not the same as mutual respectful love. I feel like there's such potential within almost any faith tradition to say that my suffering at this person's hands is for his own good. Because usually the abusers are men. I'm not saying always. Um, no, and there's a lot of ways to be abusive in relationships. It doesn't just mean yeah. hitting someone, you know. <laughs> People are very creative. <laughs> yeah, but I'm suffering at this person's hands, and therefore I am taking on responsibility for them, or I'm suffering for both of us. I just really hate the glorification of any of that. Right, and uh, this reminds me of something that. I've been thinking about the last few years and it's, you know, marriage is a sacramental thing in the church. And I think we, because it's marriage and because done in the church and the church, you know, cherishes it. And it's an icon of, you know, Christ in the church and their love between them. We think if people can just stay in it, then it's a success. But I just want to like remind everyone that we can receive even Christ's own body and blood to our damnation if we do not receive it properly with love and repentance. And we can be in a marriage in a way that destroys us, our souls as well. It's not just a matter of staying in it that'll make it a success. You actually do have to become holier. And if you're destroying each other, just staying in the marriage isn't going to make it holy or make you holy. Like, you know, it's more than that. It's not magical. It's not magical. It's not going to automatically fulfill you. No. And it won't achieve the salvation of your soul or even urge you along in the path of repentance automatically. That is something that has to be intentional. Some things that happen in marriages, they destroy each other. So I was looking up. St. Procopius, who's somebody who's referenced in the Orthodox marriage service. And I want to read this very brief excerpt from one of the ancient faith radio blogs. There is a reference to St. Procopius in the Orthodox marriage service in which the bride and groom wear crowns of martyrdom. That is because he prepared his fellow prisoners to become martyrs. This reference shows that marriage is to be a witness of mutual fidelity and self-sacrifice as a couple makes their life together 
an icon of the kingdom of God. And it goes on from there. But the original meaning of martyr is to bear witness. I, I thought of that because in the Greek church, they give out little crosses at baptisms called martyr little witness pins to show that you witnessed the baptism. Aww. Yeah, isn't that cute? Um, that. It, it's a nice idea, but I also, you know, like you can only gather so many religious items that you use. You say that, Susie, but I've seen your chain of Pasca eggs. <laughs> Those aren't blessed. <laughs> it is actually a double and soon to be triple chain. Thank you very much. <laughs> but anyway, so what if instead of thinking of martyrdom as something you know, bloody and brutal and warlike, we went back to the original idea of martyrdom as witness and encourager and someone who helps to prepare you for battle. You know, like how in the Colosseum or something like they would, you know, preparing for martyrdom, they would cheer each other on, right? Like that's in the legendary account of Saints Perpetua and Felicity. Yes. Okay. That makes more sense because I didn't get the reference to cheering each other on earlier, like thinking witness. Yeah. Like, you know, like you have the person that's like, don't deny Christ. Stay in this. The crown is waiting for you. Yeah. That kind of thing. I think that's what marriage should be like. And I think, so the question, what does the word martyr mean? And maybe martyr, we need to start thinking of it as witness again. Right. Well, you actually already alluded to this, Susie, because of the the man who didn't forgive his brother. And even though he was killed for confessing Christ, he did not receive a martyr's crown because he didn't bear that witness, right? Yeah, he didn't bear witness because if you're bearing witness to Christ, then you're loving your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, you're being (laughs) Christ-like. It's not going to be a martyrdom if you're not being Christ-like to each other. And so be honest about that, you guys, and get help. If you're not in a safe relationship or the relationship with the other person, you're not reminded of the love of Christ. Uh, reminded, you know, it's obviously not perfect because we're human, but, you know, it should remind you. It should be, it should be call you deeper into that love of God, not, not be some sort of um, paradox. But yeah, does that make sense? We didn't develop this very much before we talked about it, but often I think we come to our best conclusions when we talk through it don't we Susie (laughs) I think so yeah and all this was a big front for me to say I don't think Tolkien likes women okay I've said it (laughs) I don't think (laughs) that's not really that's not really why I had this conversation but I stand by that 100% I think if he I think if he found women perhaps most specifically his wife interesting and someone that he wanted to converse with and spend time with then there would be more women in the Lord of the Rings. I think that's telling you guys. I think it's telling that he wrote a trilogy and made up a whole new language for it. It couldn't be troubled to add more than like like a light dusting of female characters. Three, am I thinking of, besides Rosie and Mrs. Sackville Baggins? Yeah, like three. I Yeah. P.S. Lewis did not have the same problem. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. And that's, this is a long standing argument in my marriage. In fact, who is better fantasy writer, C.S. Lewis or Tolkien? And I stand by C.S. Lewis every time. Because among other things, it's interesting. It doesn't drag on about like the ends, like talking slowly. 
that's a real thriller. The um, oh my gosh, the end section is one of the most boring things in, and I I love I love Fellowship of the Ring. I think it's really good, but you can take Tom Bombadil and shove it. <laughs> it's so boring. Like exactly. land up in the Barrows. That's kind of cool, but then all of the stuff with the Ents, like hard pass, man, hard pass. So here's some true Tolkien heresy. And if my client listens to this episode, he's going to he's gonna have some things to say to me later. <laughs> but if the Lord of the Rings musical, this is the true Tolkien heresy, Lord of the Rings musical is perfect because not only is it a great musical, but it is the plot of Fellowship of the Ring. And at the end, they get to Mordor and they throw the ring in. And that's it. So it's just Fellowship of the Ring and then the end of Return of the King and none of the stuff in the middle. And that's that's what it should have been, man. Yeah, that's like a kind of adventure everybody together, kind of like The Hobbit, which is a great book. I liked it very much. Yes, The Hobbit. Okay, The Silmarillion. Let's talk about The Silmarillion for a second. The most boring things in the whole world. But when my brother <laughs> Andrew, who's a fantastic storyteller, tells me the stories, then I'm like, oh, this is really good. Because he's a good storyteller. So let me ask you something. If somebody has good ideas for stories, but can't actually translate them into being interesting, does that make them a good storyteller? I'll let you draw your own conclusion. Yeah, think about that, everybody. Okay, well, the Tolkien people are now going to come after us with pitchforks. You know, we have to talk about controversial names on this podcast to get listens and shares. We are true revolutionaries. We're coming for you. We're coming for you. (laughs) Well, you're not coming for the headscarves. Oh, oh, right. We're actually not doing too bad. We need to talk about toll houses at some point. I guess. That will be be a good driver for traffic. Halloween, we need to discuss. Oh, I can talk about Halloween. I've gone back and forth so many times, and I feel like I'm kind of at a place where I'm at peace now. Yeah. Then we will talk about it. What else is like a hot topic? Whether or not it's okay to buy the Holy Transfiguration Monastery Psalter. <laughs> okay to use it if your family has owned one since the 70s. The answer, yes. the answer to the former is no. The answer to the latter is yes. Let me think. Women deacons? Oh my gosh. No, I don't want to touch that, but you're right. It would be good. <laughs> I don't know anything about it, but you know, we got to Kind of drive the Quick answer. No, I don't believe in the female diaconate. I could get into it. I won't get into it. I believe in it as this monastic form that it was meant to be, but not as women deacons. Just doesn't. Ritual impurity. Did we get into ritual impurity before? No, I haven't dared. Now that's another, that's another good one. Gosh. Oh, oh, Matt, the biggest one of all, Susie. What? Church Slavonic. I thought you were going to say vaccines. It's bigger than that, Susie. Oh my goodness. It's coming, guys. Watch out. (laughs) All right. Well, I think we're at time. Should we wrap it up? Yeah. Oh, yes. What have I been reading and watching? I just finished rereading King Rat, which is a James Clavell novel. And this one's about the Changi prison camp during World War II. So it's not, you know, an uplifting read, but it is pretty good. Am I reading anything else? I'm still reading my Wild Woman Archetypes book, but I need to pick that up again. What about you, Rebecca? What are you reading and watching? I'm still making my way through Pilgrim's Inn, and we watched all of To the Lake on Netflix. 
Okay. You, I haven't seen that. It's a Russian language drama, I guess. It's kind of a survival drama. It's a little bit reminiscent of maybe like The Walking Dead. Oh, cool. But it's, it's not exactly like 100% zombies, but it's, you know, like some sort of infection, infectious outbreak. And about a group of people who are trying to make their way to the lake, in fact. So actually, I really liked it. I would say for the listeners out there, there's a lot of boobies. So just be aware that might not be. It was like, it was kind of like maybe a little bit too much nudity in that regard. But otherwise, I really liked it. There was some very beautiful little pivotal moments where people would turn to their faith and and it was just nice. It was just a bit nice to see like a not specifically religious show or production that, that this is just like a very normal way that people in like this imagined scenario would behave. And, you know, we just don't get that like as Americans and Orthodox Americans. You just don't see, I mean, oftentimes in like, popular culture if someone is religious they're usually catholic which is nice for catholics but <laughs> kind of leaves us out kind of leaves us out in the cold you know we don't get to see people lighting candles you know orthodox people lighting candles or praying or crossing themselves or you know there was one really touching scene where they pick up someone on the radio who is infected and probably dying and he asks if they know any prayers and this old timer in the car starts saying that i think it's their prayers for the dying and we can't quite remember this other kid, like he knows, and we start saying this. Aww. It was just so beautiful and sweet. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe, I don't know, to each their own. I I don't know. Everybody just, like, has a different sort of tolerance when it comes to depictions of sex on screen. But I would say, like, you know, <laughs> it's, if it's not for you, maybe you could fast forward or something, and it might still be worth it. But I don't know. Anyway. That was me. Nice. I think Greg and I will have to check that out. It was good. It was worthwhile, I would say. Yeah. We, we like powered right through it in two nights, I think. Three. Yeah, that's, well, that's it. Well, thank you for doing this, Susie, once again. It was good as always. Always a pleasure, my dear. Stay golden, pony boy. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you each and every one for joining us today. We would love to continue this conversation with you on our Patreon-linked Slack channel. We have the Patreon so that, for once, the trolls will have to pay a toll to spew obscenities and call us prostitutes. But we want to cultivate a community there that we can grow towards in in-person, real-life friendships. Please share the podcast with someone you think will like it. And if you liked it, please rate it on iTunes or wherever. If you did not like it, please keep your opinions to yourself. Also, please pray for us. Thanks and talk with you all soon. Bye.